The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. <laughs> yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is David. Whether you are on your way down to the Cape for a barbecue, weather's starting to get warm, Actually, it's not, but wishful thinking. You never know. Or whether you're stuck in traffic on the expressway or someplace. I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, you're listening to the Boston Podcast, which is the city's only independent daily Monday through Friday podcast that I've ever heard of. If there are others out there, I'm all ears. Dave, not not Dave, David at, I give out phony email addresses now for some reason. David at pod617.com here at the Boston Podcast Network. Let me know. If you have a daily podcast, I'm going to have you on this podcast. It'll be podcast mano a mano. Anyway, I am neglecting my guest, who is an awesome one. Her name is Heidi Webb, author, divorce consultant, and just all-around awesome person. Heidi Webb, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is your first time here at the podcast bunker in Westwood, Mass. Do you like what we've done with the place? I like it a lot. Well, we're we're still sort of the you know we're the guerrilla warriors of podcasting. It's it's not palatial. It's not the Taj Mahal, but it's home, and we think it's pretty cool. I think your decor is great. Thank you. I appreciate that. You have good taste. So Heidi is a divorce consultant at Concilium, and you can find her online at conciliumdivorce.com. She's also a published author, Dissolution to Evolution. That's a lot of Lucians, Lucians, um, T-I-O-N. Dissolution to Evolution is the book you can find on Amazon. By the way, very easy to find it. One Google search was all it took for me. And we want to talk about that, and we want to talk about divorce. And listen, if you haven't, if you've been married, you have to have divorce on the mind at some point, even if it's not your own divorce. It just, it just is part of the fabric of our society. I happen to be a divorced guy. Um, I don't, I don't have any tissues ready, so I don't know how deep we're going to get into my situation, Heidi. But you know what, my life's an open book. Tell us what you do, because divorce consultant is something that is. A change of pace from what we might think of when we think of lawyers around divorce, and we think of yeah, you get your lawyer, you get my lawyer. As Danny DeVito said in some movie, they're like nuclear weapons. They got them, I got them, and you go to war. And it's not always like that. And I'm going to stop talking now and let you explain because <laughs> <laughs> enough is enough. Tell I, me. Well, I guess you know I was that lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a litigator for. for I a forgot long to time. mention she's a lawyer <clears throat> in addition to having a master's in education. So wicked smart. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but I, th- I do know that um, both of those backgrounds inform what I do now. So, uh, you know, I, I went to law school having done my master's, as you said, in education and psychology. And after doing that, I sort of got on the traditional legal path. And, you know, lawyers learn how to litigate. They learn how to, they learn a few things in yeah. law school, but one thing fight, fight, they fight. don't. Yeah, that's sort of the, the model, the adversarial trial process that we sort of inherited from England is, mm. you know, is, is what we learn as lawyers. And yet, you know, there's so much that's gone on in the world 
research and knowledge that we have now in terms of our own sort of development over uh, human human development over lifespan that isn't incorporated into divorce law or into the court system. It's just right. not the model that we use. And so I started thinking, you know, after seeing a lot of what looked like good legal outcomes but pretty unsatisfactory personal outcomes, I started asking myself, you know, is there a better way to do this? You know, what really are we trying to do? And I started asking people different questions. And this is before I'd really formed Concilium, but really we started thinking, you know, is there a better way to do this? And when I started asking different questions, you know, lo and behold, I started getting different answers. And some of that was unpacking not just the divorce, but, you know, why do you think this is going to solve the problem that's that you have right now? I mean, mm -hmm. you're attributing sort of your unhappiness to the fact that you're in a marriage that um, you're not you're not finding to be satisfactory, and that maybe the divorce is the answer, but it in all likelihood won't solve all the problems, and it will create some others. So if we don't attend to those at the beginning, and we don't start asking different questions like where do you hope to be ten years from now? five years from now, three years from now, one year from now, and work backwards, we're really not allowing someone the opportunity to restructure their life in a productive way in their so family's lives. It sounds like you're talking about one person coming to you, one party, not, bo not both uh, husband and wife. Yep. And assessing with them what this decision is going to be and making sure they're making the right decision. So do people walk away from you having been persuaded that they shouldn't get divorced? Um... Sometimes, not most times. Not I think, for, first of all, I think when people come to see me, other than, you know, as opposed to going to see a traditional lawyer, when you walk into a lawyer's office, it's sort of a declaration like, I am getting divorced. Right. I mean, it's hard to walk into a lawyer's office, mind you, the lawyer's expecting or desiring to be retained. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's sort of one sort of mindset. Whereas when someone's walking into my office, the question is really, what's this going to look like? And what will happen? What do I have responsibilities? What are my rights? Um, what happens to my family? What happens in terms of my children, my finances? Um, how do all those things change on account of getting divorced? What's the law say about it? And you know, what are the ramifications of these actions? So you can ask all those questions without sort of committing to, and I'm getting divorced. I mean, maybe, mm. it, maybe you will, and maybe you won't. Maybe you will decide to you know, do therapy for a couple of years, go into, you know, counseling together. Maybe you'll be back, maybe you won't. But I'm not sort of advocating that you should be divorced necessarily. I just want to educate people and have them understand the terrain before they sort of like jump into the deep end. What are the misconceptions that people seem to have? I think there are a lot of misconceptions. I think, you know, I have a paralegal who sort of joking, jokingly said, you know, you should really teach a class called So You Want to Get Married, you know, on on prenuptial agreements or on sort of all the things that people don't think about when they're getting married. I mean, they're thinking about the table arrangements and the flowers and the dresses and, you know. It's true. You know, yeah. you know, but no one's talking about estate plans or, you know, whose money in the pension. Well, what fun is that? There. So exactly. Birthday, uh, wedding cakes exactly. taste good. Exactly. So that's sort of a, you know, yeah. it's like a definitely a, you know, wet dish rag approach to marriage, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it really is, you, people don't understand what they did when they got married or that the state is a party in their marriage. So it's, a, mm -hmm. it's sort of shocking to a lot of people when you say, you know, that the state has an interest in the outcome of your marriage. Um, they don't want anyone to end up on the street. They'd prefer people not be on mass health. I mean, there's a lot of things that the state has an interest in. 
And, you know, there's sort of a social context for, for marriage as we know it, even though people don't think about it sort of in their daily lives typically. So <clears throat> when you sit down with someone and start talking about restructuring a family, and that's the language I use is different as well. So, so mm-hmm. a lot of what um, I've tried to help people understand is that, you know, just because a judge says um, you're divorced, it doesn't mean that you will have nothing to do with your, you know, co-parent, your the mother or father of your children. You know, in all likelihood, you're going to still have a lot of a relationship. So do you want to be the agent? Whether you like it or not. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So the question is, you know, how do you really embrace being an agent of that role? And how do you say at the outset, you know, this is something I actually want to take control over? And as much as I can, I want to restructure the family on our terms or my terms. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the goals here? You know, how do I see not the children, but each of my children? You know, they're not like a package. They're not property. I mean, I get very frustrated with language like custody. I mean, it's they're not, you know, boxes to be moved around. Mm-hmm. So we talk about, you know, residential responsibility and decision-making responsibility. We talk about my house with mom and my house with dad, not dad's house or mom's house. Um, We talk about restructured families, not divorced families or families of divorce. But, you know, the the truth of it is you will have ongoing relationships. So how do you structure that and and what power do you have over that? And the answer is you can have a lot of power over it or you can cede a lot of that power. Mm -hmm. So you cede it all when you say I'm filing and I'll let the judge decide. That's pretty much saying, you know, I want nothing to do with this decision-making process or very little to do with it as opposed to working through mediation. And I'm not saying that mediation is right for everybody and litigation is wrong for everybody. Certainly there are times that both and and other things are called for. But doing it thoughtfully and saying, you know, is there a way that we can do this um, thoughtfully and compassionately together? Can Um, people come around? I mean, you hear the horror stories and most divorces that I know of are not, uh, quick and easy. <laughs> they're, they're, they're now, as it happens, I, I mean, I don't want to share too much about my own, but it was, we had relatively little to fight over at the end of the day, which was a good thing. But many people will find things, they'll invent things to fight over. And I, I always get uh, amazed at how um, people seem to forget about the kids like they not that they're they're forgetting about them completely but they forget that their actions have consequences on their kids and and so do you help them set those priorities and it's like if you do x you got to worry about y absolutely you know and i think that look when people are emotionally feeling really vulnerable and Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's human nature to want to preserve yourself and, you know, you can read a lot of research on car accidents. Even you know, people might say, you know, I, I always want to protect my children. But if a car is coming at you, you know, your instinct is to protect yourself. And I think, right. you know, divorces sort of are in that same category. You want to theoretically protect your children. But, oh, my God, what if I can't pay the mortgage? It's sort of how people's mind goes. So they're in this sort of red zone. And what we do at Concilium is we sort of superimpose the logical part of someone's brain when it's not really working. So it's really hard for someone who's emotionally raw to um, be able to think that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can sort of sub- substitute our brains for someone's 
you know, that part that's sort of not working um, at, at an optimum level at the beginning until they really can embrace that, understand that, and sort of act in their kids' best interests. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you had asked, you know, do we represent one party or both? And the concilium model sort of in its pure form is that we work with one person and we help them structure and see the divorce as sort of an opportunity for growth as well as the end or dissolution of their marriage. So helping them sort of plan their own sort of next steps, whether that's education or work or being home with kids for a certain length of time, selling or staying in a house. I mean, all the things that are sort of decisions that need to be made, but also um, help them enter into a divorce process the legal process as well as possible. So we help people hire legal counsel and stay on as a consultant. So that's the pure sort of concilium form. But there are times that we work with couples as well, um, either through mediation or through working with other counsel to help structure and frame something together because people are at least enough on the same page that they agree they want to do that collaboratively. Yeah. So let's talk about the book. Mm -hmm. Dissolution to evolution. I think I know what those words mean, but tell me what they mean in the context of uh, divorce. Well, you know, I think that the idea of evolving, we're all evolving as people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, divorce, the word itself, you know, is obviously the end of a marriage. It's the dissolution of a marriage, a marital And it has such a enterprise. negative t- twinge to it. It's, it's, I almost, and it carries a, a stigma. I mean, mm-hmm. that that to me was one of the I don't know if challenging is the word, but it was definitely a noticeable part of being divorced is that when I told people I was, you tell people you're getting divorced, it's like, they're oh, that's so sad. And they almost react as if somebody died. And it's like, well, it's not a happy thing for sure, <laughs> but it's a it's supposed to be a path towards happiness. Right. And, and in many times making your life, in fact, happier. But um, <laughs> to, to have to kind of tell people you're divorced, you almost kind of, stumble over the word when you mm-hmm. say it because it's mm-hmm. like it, it's like I failed uh, right. it's like right. it's like uh, uh, are you there's single are like you dating somebody it's like no yeah. well I'm a failure that's what right. I <laughs> you, right. know, you know right well there's this shame associated with it that's and I right, think that's yeah. cultural and you know I think look when when people were getting married and, and dying by the time they were 45 or 50 I mean marriages didn't last as long people didn't evolve as much you know there's that's so absolutely many absolutely right that's what I say to everybody that people g- got married in their 20s had their kids <laughs> and raised their kids and then they died like shortly thereafter <laughs> when so, marriage was invented, right? Right. Or, right. Well, so in speak. the last five years or so, we start started talking a lot more about or hearing the term graying divorce. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but people, mm. you know, the term being, you know, people who are gray haired or older. Um, right. And, you know, I've done divorces, been involved in divorces of people in their 70s much more in the last few years than I was before. But I think people are making choices now. They're living much longer. And, you know, when you're 65 or 70, you're thinking, I've still got a lot of time. And, you know, one person wants to retire to Florida and one person wants to stay in Boston and be on, you know, different nonprofit boards and, you know, see the grandchildren. And they have a very different idea of what retirement looks like. They want to work part-time. Someone else wants to play golf every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some some things just get to a point where the lifestyles we want to live are really, really different. And sometimes it's just, you know, who I was at 25 when I met this person and who I am today and how I've grown and how I've changed are really different. And it's not that I have, you know, a lot of hatred for the person, but I just don't want to 
do breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day with this person for the next 25 or 30 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that it's, it is true that there's this stigma that I think a lot of people feel around divorce, and certainly that carries over to kids. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my goals in writing the book and thinking about this differently is to change that paradigm so that people can feel like their families are restructured but still healthy and that kids don't sort of have this wounded sense of themselves that somehow they're, you know, damaged goods. And um, I think that many, many times, you know, when I work with people, I do a pretty detailed, you know, personal history with people and I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but many people are have been through a divorce already, which is their parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. And they bring to the table that experience, whatever it was, if it was contentious, if it was they felt abandoned, if like there are many things that people feel about it before they've even committed to doing it. Right. So, you know, without examining that, um, you know, as Socrates said, you know, an unexamined life is not worth living. I think an unexamined, you know, process is not worth really proceeding toward. Look at you quoting Socrates, and, you hey, know. I'm just, I'm normally quoting like Bobcat Goldthwait or somebody. <laughs> Sorry. So, um I just think it's important to give thought yeah. to this. You know, it's of course. a huge yeah. huge decision, right? It well it is, but uh I can tell you that people are all over the board with it. In other words, some people will decide will spend 10 20 years deciding whether to get divorced because mm-hmm. because it's it's a hard thing and I thought you know when sort of I had to pose the question to myself I it, I said you know it's worth taking time because it's not something you want to do precipitously um, but on the other hand if you torture yourself for long enough then that becomes your life you know yeah and like you say, people like people evolve, and we don't die at age four, typically anyway. But you know, average person you know lives you know eighty or whatever it is, and uh, you can be a very a very different person. You make these decisions. I mean, the whole the whole construct of the thing kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, if you think about it, it's like you you get you promise you meet somebody you love in your twenties. And you promise to stay with them for the rest of your life. You've only been alive twenty years. You might be alive another sixty. Uh, does it even make sense? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I mean, you well, could argue think- that that based on the way society has played out in this day and age, that it doesn't make sense. Hi, everybody. I'm Chami Perel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor business owner, or really any kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships. Clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. Go to pod617.com to start planning. And in the meantime, listen to the great shows they've already produced. The Irreverent Bitchless Bride podcast, the hilarious show known as Shawshanked, and the wild trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we trust. People who stay happily married would probably say that it's not the same marriage. So I think that, mm-hmm. the, you know, to, to expect that someone won't change 
from 25 to, you know, 75 is pretty crazy, right? Right. So, you know, there are so many things and, and uh, you know, when one person retires often, another one's just getting up to speed with work. I mean, women and men, at least in our society, often are on very different schedules in terms of their work life. Um, you know, especially if somebody stays home primarily and then sort of gets back years up for work and the other person's like been working then by 25 or 30 years and wants to wind down. And, mm. you know, I mean, there are all sorts of conflicts that people have at, at various junctures in their lives together. And I think how they evaluate that and how they decide to move forward are huge um, parts of whether or not they stay together or, or don't. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, most people go into a marriage expecting to stay married. But what does that mean, I think, is the question. You know, mm. stay married mean <coughs> excuse me. Stay married mean to be um exactly as we are today. Or right. does it mean to evolve and be different people? And I think how flexible people are about that and how much they, you know, stay, for lack of a better word, you know, married to the original paradigm. Um, probably can be somewhat predictive about how successful a long-term marriage might be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When someone comes into you and they, 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 a lot of times will be a mess. They will have, I mean, I think people that go through a divorce typically will have just some really super low moments, mm -hmm. some lower than others, obviously. But, but I think everyone will have that moment where they just sort of get really depressed and say, how did it come to this? When those people sit down in your office, can you tell them anything to give them perspective? I mean, what what do you tell them? Well, I, I a lot of times I tell people that I'm seeing them at the worst point for them. That that things will get better. I mean, it's not you must you know, have some really like, great work days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know if you look at um, I actually just wrote a blog on called Grief and Legacy, which was, it mm -hmm. incorporated some of the research of um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but I'm not, she but wrote a uh, 19, I think it was 69 book she wrote on death and dying, and she wrote about the stages that people go through in terms of denial and. Oh, you was know, that her thing? Yeah, the stages of grief. Yeah, okay, stages of grief. Oh, then I so, should know her. So getting to acceptance is sort of the stage. And it's not linear. You know, it's not like you go through stage one and then you go through stage two. And then, you know, it's not like crawling, walking, running. It's And even with babies, I mean, they crawl and they walk and then they crawl again and then they run and then they walk again. You know, it's mm. like, you know, we're not programmed like a computer. Mm. And I think that, you know, people have to have a little grace and, and gentleness with themselves in terms of allowing for that. So even when people are um, <clears throat> feeling better for three days in a row, they may go back to feeling like worse than they did, you know, right. at the beginning. And I think there is sort of uh, you just want to get better and better days for longer and longer periods as time goes on. And I think you know part of what we do at Concilium is really help people to to build a path and then navigate it. And I think everybody does better in terms of arriving at a destination if they know where they're headed. You know, if you just sort of are out journeying, you know, and you walk and you look and you wonder and you don't know where you're going, it's really frustrating. Right. It's like landing in Rome and not speaking Italian. You yep. know, it's sort of like, how do? where's that Colosseum thing? But if you have a tour guide or you have someone who can help you, you feel like, okay, you know, like I'm on the ground. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And that's and, where you come in. Yeah. So yeah, that's there I mean. are moments where you're like, well, what do I do now? Like like if you're you're married and then the next month you're not married, 
there are going to be routines, things that you do, places you go. You'd be like, well, I don't Absolutely. do that. I don't do that anymore because yeah. I'm not married to that person. And then a zillion questions. Like, I mean, you always want to support the kids. So you want to, I remember when, when I got divorced, my uh, wife and I, well, we got, we got separated. And so, but, it, you know, I had moved out and we were invited to a uh, bar mitzvah. And mm-hmm. we're like, well, should we sit together? Should we not sit together? And the, the to their credit, whoever was the host kind of asked us, what, we, what would you guys prefer? Yeah. yeah. And I said, that's fine. We'll sit together. We're like, well, you know, that way, in our, our as it happened, one of our kids was at the bar mitzvah. So, but there are no rules about these things. Exactly. Like a, a different couple might have said, you know, hell no, I'm not sitting next to you or exactly. I'm not even going, you know? Exactly. Um, so, you help people sort through things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And help people do bar mitzvahs, you know, when they're right. divorced. Oh, it's God. like, you know, I mean, but all those yep. things are, you know, questions, right? Like, how are we going to navigate this? And there aren't rules, but there are expectations. I mean, just like people have expe- expectations walking into a marriage, and often they're different from each other. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not even discussed. They sort of have an idea of what a marriage is. And they don't align, but people don't even realize that. Um, so certainly, you know, if they didn't align in a marriage, chances are pretty good they're not going to align in a divorce. Mm-hmm. So getting that out and, and understanding it and helping people be able to talk about that is part of what we do. Um, and helping people really think through what are these next years going to look like and how are we going to make them as good as they can be. I mean, do people ask you, like, um, you know, quite frankly – this marriage is headed for divorce, but you know, in three years, all the kids are going to be out of the house. We should wait till then, right? Mm-hmm. Is there an answer to that question? I think there are a lot of answers to that question. We got but, time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's like, what is the impact on everybody in the mm. next three years? I mean, they can be three miserable years for everybody. They can be three tolerable years for everybody. Mm. They can be, you know, we're going to make the best of it. And it's right out in the open and we both know it, but we're deciding it's best not to tell the kids. You know, there are all different ways, I think, that people approach it. And, you know, it's very, um, it's very individual. I mean, as much as sort of you can say, you know, there's a lot of literature that says um, one of the pieces of literature, there was a 25-year longitudinal study done by a woman by the name of Judith Wallerstein. And she followed families, kids of divorce for 25 years. And she had three groups, kids whose parents were divorced, kids whose parents were married <coughs> happily, and kids whose parents were married but not happily. Hmm. And she followed these families. And one of the seminal pieces of research was that the kids whose parents were divorced after, you know, their childhood, so into adolescence, Mm. had no memories as they got older of play. And when I talk to people, I tell them, people divorcing, I tell them that not to make them sad, but to say, why? Why is that? Mm. Because what happened is even the kids who were in families where the parents weren't happily married. They came home from school, the parents were bickering, the kids went out back and they played on the swing set or whatever, and they just did their life and the parents were in the background. The kids whose parents were divorced were going back and forth between the houses. They were, oh my God, I forgot my math book at mom's or my sneakers are at dad's, or it was all these, you know, the logistics of daily living became their responsibility. And parents didn't pick up the slack. They didn't really think about it Mm -hmm. as much as they needed to. And I tell that to parents because I think it's not the kids' responsibility. I think it's the parents' yeah, responsibility. 
And, you know, you need to make that. The kids shouldn't know you think it's a pain in the butt to have to bring their gym bag to their dads. It's just not their problem. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't ask for that. So the more that you can take that out of the equation mm-hmm. and let them have memories of play, let them be children, the better it is. So I think those kinds of pieces of information are important for parents to have because it's not top of mind. So when you say to somebody, you know, this may not be something because you are thinking, oh, I can't believe he moved that far away and now it's really inconvenient and every time, you know, a kid has a hockey game, I have to bring the bag over, you know, and the kids hear it and then they just feel like they're the burden instead of feeling like, you know, it's seamless, you know, we'll see you, we'll see you at your game. Cool. Yeah. Mom and dad will be there. Right. You know, it's those kinds of things. I mean, the more that parents can get on the same page and be there for their kids in those ways and just reduce all the anxiety around the logistics. Yeah, because kids, wa- kids worry. Kids worry about whether they Huge have amount. the seven things in their backpack that they need for that day. And if the remedy is, well, there's nothing we can do about it, it's over at moms or it's over at dads. I can see how if that becomes sort of a daily thing, it's stressful. Um on the other hand, it sounds like what you're saying is it's not even so much the divorce is that the parents haven't didn't pay attention to the changing circumstances and how the kids were going to react. Yeah, or they don't give thought to it. I mean, to them, it's personally a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're thinking. They're not thinking about the impact of saying that out loud and their kids internalizing that as them being it being their problem. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the more, I mean, now there's, at least in Massachusetts, there's parent education classes through the court system. So some of these things are addressed in those classes. Um, there's also a high-conflict parenting class that's uh, been established. That's a terrific class that I've worked on with some people to um, help people who really are in um, a lot a lot of sort of discord with each other understand sort of the impact of their actions on their kids. Um, but... You know, I think that that's been typically not something that's addressed by the court. And frankly, judges are seeing a lot of people in a day, and they don't have time to go through these things with families um, on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. And thinking about that, that you know, it's it, obviously children of divorce have a different experience than children who don't. I tend to think on the, on the more, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but that the divorce doesn't have to be a death, that the divorce doesn't have to be uh, the seminal moment in the kid's life because the kid, I mean, depending upon age, and I don't know what the real reason, real answer is to the question as to when's the best time. I think the best, there is no best time, and the best time is when it's necessary to make everybody's lives happier, you know? So the to the, to the idea that... Um, you know, kids get messed up by divorce. They may, but and this is just kind of anecdotal observations. Kids that really struggle in their later years, and I'm talking about serious cases of you know uh, drug addicts and abusers and other people who really have a can't figure life out. It's it, it's not. Uh, it doesn't seem to be like well, my parents got divorced and I just went into a state of depression. It was more like it might have been my parents got divorced, but it was also like there was something else. There was mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. There was alcoholism in the family. There was incredible neglect. My dad never went to any of my baseball games. It, it was it was things like that. So, I mean, maybe I'm a cockeyed optimist, but I tend to think that if if you are going to get divorced, um, you know, your life can certainly be happy, and the kids 
can adjust. The kids can be pretty resilient. The kids end up having their own lives. Like I remember sitting around worrying about what my son was, my two sons are thinking all the time. And one day it dawned on me that they're not always thinking about me and and mom. They're not always thinking Absolutely. about their parents. Yeah, and I and I went back and I'm trying to remember when I was in the fifth and sixth grade. How often did I think about my parents? I mean, I thought about them, but I don't think about them like all the time. And my parents stayed married, by the way. But nevertheless, it's they have their own lives and they start Absolutely. to they they can Absolutely. figure things out. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really important for. I mean, most kids after they're told that their parents are getting divorced by their parents, um, the first question is is very much related to them. Like, are we going to move? Do I get to keep right. my room? I mean, right. it's like, Where okay. Where like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's very personal, just like the parents. Right. I mean, their self-preservation too. I mean, it can be very, I mean, it's not that it's not sad for kids, but depending upon what's happening and how it transpires, I've seen kids really thrive and kids who really weren't thriving actually when the parents were married because there was so much stress in the house. And the kids felt like, you know, I once had somebody say to me um, who's getting divorced that she felt like her kids weren't having sort of an authentic, um, how did she phrase it? It was sort of like their their reality wasn't, it didn't comport with what they were watching. Mm. So they were being told, you know, mom and dad are really happy. You have a really happy family. Everything's really great. And that wasn't true. And that wasn't really what Who was their telling actions. Them that? Well they they were you know, when they talked about their family life, it mm-hmm. was just sort of the the sort of party line or whatever it was, you know, that we're a happy family. Like that's sort of how okay. we're presenting to the world, right? We go out in the world right. and we look like we're a happy family. And then we get back into the house and everybody's squabbling and mom and dad are arguing with each other and the kids are running to the room not to hear it and all this stuff's going on at home. And then they walk out and they are smiling and they're acting like everything's great at the grocery store. So it was very um, sort of surreal to have to have these two experiences and then say, you know, all the time to the world, everything's great. And then feeling like that wasn't true and then not having anyone actually own it. And the mom said, you know, when we told them that we were getting divorced, I felt like we were validating their true experience, which was, you know, we're not happy. And this is this is why. And we're all going to be a lot better off when this happens. We're going to like pull the Band-Aid off, you know, and we're going to let the wounds heal and then we're going to be better. And those kids have thrived. Um, And I, I think that, you know, that can be when there's a lot of honesty and integrity around the decision. Um, it can it can really work out very very well. Well, you know what Thoreau said: <laughs> most men lead lives of quiet desperation. This is true. You threw Socrates at me. <laughs> I had to throw Thoreau back at you. Good. He's a local boy, but or at least he local spent boy time. Done, done he, well. He is local, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He, he, he right up the street from me. Of course, Walden Pond, right? You got it. So uh, he, um, but what you said, I think, makes a lot of sense, and. It's sad. It's uh, to me. It's always sad. Every divorce is just sad. That's the word I always use. So if you, if you're heading into it, get used to being sad a little bit, and you know maybe having uh, an extra cocktail on certain nights to ease the pain. Not more than that, hopefully. But um, that that's going to happen. But but the the what I what troubles me is some people get so. Uh, bummed out that their life doesn't resemble a Hallmark card. <laughs> and like you said, those that pretend to, that their life resembles a Hallmark card, often it doesn't truly. So let's let's forget that, people. Like, let's, yeah. let's um, 
you know, be good to uh, the people in our world as, as good as we can. But if you hold yourself up to that standard time and time again, there's, something's not going to work. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's absolutely true. And yeah. I think, you know, I think just like having a guide in anything in life, it's, it's helpful. And for most people, they get, if they get divorced, it's something they do once. Um, and, you know, most therefore, people. most people, not Larry all people. King, I mean, Larry I've King certainly, yep, you. yep, I'm doing one right now, but they've both been divorced three times. But, um, but I think the reality is, you know, it's, it's nice to have a guide when you haven't done something before. For sure. So buy Heidi's book. If you're not convinced by now, I don't know what you're thinking, people. There is, I will just say oh, one little thing about sure, the book because I think there, I did include in it a workbook um, just because oh, cool. I feel like, yeah, it helps people sort of do the thought process. People who I won't have an opportunity to meet um, can pick that up and sort of work through some of the things that we've been discussing and at least think it through um, their own way before uh, before. That's a great idea because inevitably when you're getting divorced, there are so many competing thoughts in your head because there are, there are from like the feelings to the details to the kids to everything in between. So it's a work, it's a, what did you say? It's a coloring book? It's a pop-up <laughs> exactly, book? No, it includes book. a workbook. That's that's a great idea. And that, that, that to crayons me- Crayons aren't included. The crayons aren't included. <laughs> but it's uh, to me, that's a great idea because- um, it's you know useful as it, for the reasons you just set forth, but also it's it feels less daunting when we're I'm buying a book that includes a workbook. A workbook sounds so user friendly, like <laughs> okay, and also I'm gonna get something out of it. Like I can I can begin thinking about the makings of a plan. But then you should still go to Heidi Webb because uh, at conciliumdivorce.com she can help you in all the ways that she has described. Did you have fun? Here on the Boston it's Podcast. It's always fun to talk to you. Oh, well, that's very sweet of you. I appreciate it. So, uh, Heidi Webb, thanks for joining. We'll have to have you thanks back so on much for sometime. Me. Yes, you passed the audition for sure. And thank you all for listening to the Boston Podcast at pod617.com. By the way, if you want your own podcast, go to the website. I just mentioned it. How many times do you want me to say it, people? pod617.com. Click on Contact Us. We can start to talk about producing your podcast right here in our Westwood studios. Wouldn't that be cool? These microphones are awesome, aren't they? Absolutely they make awesome. you. They make you. They just make you want to talk like Tom Brokaw or something, <laughs> which I do sometimes when there's no one else in the studio. And on behalf of... Oh, by the way, if you like this podcast, like it or share it with a colleague, a friend, somebody. Help us spread the gospel. We appreciate it, people. It's free for crying out loud. What do you want for free? Um... And on behalf of uh, Heidi Webb, this is David Yaz. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston... You must be the other guy. <laughs>